gentlemen, welcome back to the Being Husband Podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan West, bringing you guys another episode here, telling you all like I always do. Thank you. Thank you guys for being a part of the work that we're doing. If you've been with us for any length of time, then you know what we're all about. We're here to help you men live on mission in marriage. And today we've got a really great episode for you today. We've got an interview with Aaron Wren, the author of a newsletter called The Masculinist. Very, very interesting newsletter. I encourage you guys to to read through it. Um, I'll put a link in the show notes of the article that really inspired this episode. So I'll go ahead and get that uh, in the show notes for you. Uh, Wanted to take care of a few housekeeping things. Want to give a big shout out to my friend, Craig, for being a Patreon uh, donor. Craig, I appreciate you. I appreciate you taking time to add value uh, to what we've got going on. And I just, I want to thank you on the airwaves. And like I said, guys, I'm not going to sell that. I'm not going to preach that on here. If the spirit moves you, (laughs) <laughs> to donate to us, you can at patreon.com slash being husband pod. That's patreon.com slash being husband pod if you're interested in doing so. But I did want to give a shout out to Craig because I really appreciate you doing that, my man. Okay. With that being said, guys, we're going to get into the episode. The The general gist of this episode is Aaron and I are having a conversation and it was inspired by an article that he put in his newsletter, The Masculinist. And the, the, the title of it was, We Can Only Go Forward Because We Can't Go Back. And he's referring to the way that marriage used to be, the way that marriage used to be appreciated, the way that marriage used to be held up as something honorable, the way that family dynamics worked um, in the past. And we specifically get into the reality of biblical headship, right? We get into the conversation about, is it really feasible to say that the man, right, that a man in 2020 is a patriarch? (laughs) Is it feasible to say that when we've got um, a lot of, shall I say, um, Lack of respect of men. Can we really say that when we're viewed as useful as Homer Simpson or Phil Dunphy, right? Can we really say that we could even call ourselves patriarchs and have a society that that appreciates and honors that? And so he and I have a really interesting conversation about that. And I'm not going to take up any more time, but I just wanted to let you guys know, I would encourage you, if you haven't read that article, pause the podcast right now, take time, read the article, then come back to the podcast uh, because you're, you're going to need to have read this before because it's really, really, it's required reading. I'm going to say that. You need to take time and, and, and read that before you get into this. So without further ado, this is my conversation with Aaron Wren. To the podcast. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't not. When you got a title of a newsletter called The Masculinist, and we <laughs> deal with masculinity and I've been connected to you for a little bit. I, I had to have you on because you're just, you're a brain, man. It's, it's oh, insane. Yeah. <laughs> I, um, I really want to know. And I think a lot of the guys that listen are curious as to, you know, who you are, you mm-hmm. know, if you, you know, take us back and then we'll go forward, take us back to Aaron Wren when he's a, a young fifth grader trying to figure out how the world works and how girls work and, and that yeah. whole kind of thing, man. Talk to us about that. Well, well sadly, I, I didn't think, figure out how girls work until long after fifth grade. <laughs> no, but I am, um, you know, I grew up in rural Southern Indiana. So I grew up four miles outside of a town of like 50 people or something like that. So it was small. It was very rural. In fact, for a while, I lived in a trailer on a gravel road. Um, But, you know, it's a little that's a little bit overselling it because (laughs) we were about a 45 minute drive from from downtown Louisville, Kentucky. So, um, you know, in most rural areas in Indiana, you think about farming. In fact, most people where I grew up commuted and worked in factories like Ford Motor or something like that. Wow. 
Yeah, so I grew up out there and where I was, you know, basically totally clueless um, about the world. You know, I really just wasn't exposed to a whole lot and then went off to, uh, you know, I went to Indiana University. And uh, that was really kind of the start of me learning anything about the world. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, and then, uh, you know, uh, the, the irony, I guess, is later I re- really became known for my work on cities and urban policies. Mm-hmm. I wrote under a name called the Urbanophile, the lover of cities. Yeah. <laughs> I love cities like only somebody from a town of 50 people can. Yeah. <laughs> Did you when you did uh, when you kind of became that personality of the urbanophile and you started writing was that i guess was that the primary thing that you focused on i and, and really i guess how did that develop into the work you're doing with the masculinist really the truth is i've always been a message board junkie so okay. going back okay. to when i was when i was in college um which was before the world wide web really existed mm-hmm. so i was on the internet but it was essentially a text based internet that wasn't like it was today mm-hmm. and there were these discussion boards on something called usenet if you've ever heard of it no uh, but basically <laughs> it was like it was like all these topic areas you know there were ones about roads and ones about science fiction and ones about movies and ones about different places and you would just get into like discussions just like you would on an online forum today sure yeah and i was really a junkie of that and then i i, I got a job working as a um technology consultant in Chicago, mm-hmm. uh, the company that's now known as Accenture. Mm-hmm. And I was just always very into like online discussions. Yeah. And um, so I started writing, uh, there was, there was a, a, a new web-based um, bulletin board called Skyscraper City that was all about cities. Mm-hmm. And I somehow found it and got connected there. And just, I'd always found myself debating kind of urban topics. Mm-hmm. Um, with people on there in part because I would, you know, not being from a city, it was a new experience to me. And I, I was really interested in studying it. And, you know, so I wrote a lot about public transit, for example, and things like that. And I published in the nineties, I, I published a, a newsletter um, called the, the, the weekly breakdown, which was all about problems uh, that happened on the, on the CTA that week in the Chicago transit authority, like transit problems. Wow. So I, it was really, you know, I was used to writing things on the internet. Yeah. And, um, and so I ended up writing this blog called the Urbano file, which became very, very, very popular. Yeah. And I ended up leaving there in order to, to essentially try to turn it into a profession. Mm-hmm. I'm like, wow, this is really popular. Like a lots of very like high ranking people are interested in what I have to say. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe there's like a, a job here or a career. Now, I will say I underestimated significantly how difficult it was going to be to make that transition. <laughs> but I ended up essentially leaving my job and, and spending a few years. But I ended up being successful and kind of making a career transition. I ended up working for a think tank in New York wow. as a senior talking about cities. So what does that have to do with the masculinist? Yeah. Really nothing, <laughs> but with one exception to that, which is multiple times in the past – I had started by just writing a newsletter, writing a blog, and giving you know as thoughtful views as I can on topics that I studied carefully, mm-hmm. and knew that I could earn respect for that, even if I didn't have like a PhD in the topic. Mm-hmm. It used to be really when I started talking about cities, I almost used to apologize to people when I'd meet them. I say, you know. I'm not like a, I'm not a senior fellow with the Brookings Institution. I'm not a columnist for the Chicago Tribune. I don't have any degrees. I'm just, a, you know, just kind of a nobody. And, and that's what I, think. I always tell people, never apologize for yourself. Yeah. Just stop apologizing. That's one of my things I said in the mask. Stop apologizing. That's one thing to apologize if you did something wrong. <laughs> oh, you know, I'm going to apologize because, you know, I don't have the greatest background on my Skype or something like that. Mm-hmm. We constantly apologize for something we shouldn't. And so I was constantly leading with apologies. Mm-hmm. And finally, you know, I had to come to realize, like, wait a minute here. I'm actually as smart as these people. And, you know, I was able to accomplish something in that field. And so I'm not intimidated at all by other people with superior credentials. Mm-hmm. And so that was really important, I think, with the masculinist in that, um, oh, you know, you're not like a fancy theologian. You're not a pastor. You're not the stuff. I'm like, you're right. I'm not. 
Yeah. I actually consider that an asset in what I'm doing in a lot of, in a lot of ways. Right. Uh, but I was not intimidated. I've, I've never been intimidated by the thought of disagreeing with someone who has a lot of fancy letters after their name. Mm-hmm. Provided, of course, I can back it up with like show my work, and that's what I try to do. Mm-hmm. That's what I try to do in the newsletter: show my work. Mm-hmm. And so, starting the masculinist was not like the very first time I'd ever gone out on the internet writing something, mm-hmm. trying to see if I could say something compelling and attract an audience. Yeah. But, but really, there was not. The, the, I guess the other thing that's re, that is an effect on the masculinist is, you know, I, I'm very. Um, I was very shaped by the kind of the urban reform church guys, um, mm. like, like Tim Keller yeah. and people like that. Um, you know, I, uh, you know, I grew up in a rural kind of fundamentalist assemblies of God church. So I had that kind of background, mm-hmm. um, but, uh, you know, so, but coming to, coming to cities, um, and then getting involved in kind of the urban church world, I feel like my knowledge of the urban church world and my knowledge of cities and how they think about it has also been very valuable, I think, in um, thinking about how that crowd of people thinks about things and, and reacts to things. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I, I think that that's evident in your work because you, you, you have a – and even your most recent newsletter, which is – and we're not going to talk about that long-winded on this, but but – retreating as being the norm for conservative Christians or conservatives in general, but right. conservative Christians in particular, I, I was like, who is this guy? And, yeah. and, and the thing for me was, is that I heard you first on um, the theology podcast and we've had CR Wiley on the podcast oh, uh, to talk. About, yeah. 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 We, we had him on to talk about uh, basically being a man that carries weight and kind of mm-hmm. taking that idea of, Pietas and gravitas and really fleshing that out with, um, you know, day to day, how to be that guy or how to how to develop those virtues. Um, And I first heard you on that podcast and then that got me looking into the newsletter and then the whole rabbit trail in general. And what you're saying is true. The way that you approach um, your theology is you're like, hey, I'm a reformed guy, but I'm going to be critical about my leanings. And I think that you being where you're at kind of is, I mean, you have to, right? Like when you're in the city and you're constantly bombarded by, and I'm not saying that every city is uh, liberal in its leanings. I'm not suggesting that, but I am saying that generally speaking, where, what city are you in? Well, I'm in Indianapolis now. Okay. So yeah, I just moved here. Uh, I'm from Indiana originally. I, I was living in New York for five years. Okay. And lived in Chicago for close to 20 years. Yeah, and so you're you're constantly bombarded by people that think that you're stupid because you, <laughs> you know what I'm saying. You have a a a conservative viewpoint on mm-hmm. say gender roles, say theology, say public policy, yeah. and so you're constantly having to think critically about your mm-hmm. position. Would you say that's true? Uh, yeah, I would say that that's true. Yeah. You know, and, uh, you know, I, 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 you know, if you think about the typical, though, kind of white conservative evangelical, um, mm-hmm. you know, I definitely don't fall into the same kind of conservatism that they, they do. You know, that kind of baby boomer people who wear tricorn hats to their teapot rallies. You know, I really, you know, I don't, I don't, um, I don't fall in neatly to, to a to a great thing, but I, I do think I, one thing is I, I realize that like my views are not the norm. Yeah. And, and, and I think that that follows through into a lot of, um, a lot of different areas. Cause like a lot of times, you know, so I like living in cities. I like living in like an, an urban walkable neighborhood where I'm close to public transit and all of that. Mm-hmm. And I think that's great, but a lot of people don't, don't like that. You know, yeah. they, most people, the, the truth is, most people, which we see based on where they live, prefer to live in a single family home in the suburbs. Mm-hmm. And so I got to be careful not to project my own personal preferences as some sort of a universal. Yeah. But you're right. You know, I also do, you, know, you, you do have to think, you do have to think very deeply about things. And, you know, I, we'll see how long this lasts um, kind of in the world we're in, but I have found that if you simply explain, you just simply walk through like, here's, here's what I believe. Here's why I think this way. 
um, I've found people are really interested in really interested in that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, within certain parameters, within certain parameters. Sure. So, you know, like if I were much more of a um, trollish um, mm-hmm. kind of internet person, I might I may not get the same. Yeah, I might not get the same response. Yeah. Exactly. I, I try to be I try to be serious. I want I want to stand on the truth. I mean that's one of the things that's very, very important to me. Um, is it's not just about what I want to be true or what will be convenient for me, but I really do want to align myself with the truth. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, and I think that that's that's evident in your work because you're you're as you're writing, you're you're critiquing your own position and your own leanings. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's healthy. I think that's humble. I think that that's biblical, right? To, you know, Christ says, before you can remove the speck in your brother's eye, you have to get the log out of yours. And right. I think your writing is, frankly, in a long time between you and CR, yours is the first writing where I've come across it. And I'm like, this guy is trying to get as close to reality as possible. Oh, and I appreciate that. How did you say that? I appreciate that. I, I think that you've 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 inspired me to do the same thing, man. And that's really why I wanted to get you on, um, because I, I wanted to talk about and specifically the masculinist. I wanted to talk about why do you think so many young men are attracted to conversations about uh, masculinity, and then particularly why do you think young men really are are, are into the masculinist? You mm. know, because and and let, and let me say this. I'm I'm going to kind of set it up a little bit better. Um, there is and there are sites that I can go on right now where it's rah rah men are great and and we need to be the ones in charge of everything. I can go find those websites right now because mm-hmm. um, that's definitely like a cultural co- it's a subcultural conversation, but that's yeah. definitely one that's going yeah. on. Um, and then you've got you know say the more liberal end of things where it's like no like men are bad like. We're basically oppressive, power-hungry beasts that feast on the souls of children and women. Right? <laughs> <laughs> you know? So that that's also that's also a conversation. And so you kind of come in as almost moderate, but I stand on something. It's not a wishy-washy type of uh, masculinity, so to speak. It's like, hey, here's what I'm about, and here's maybe some holes in what I think. And so what do you think? Do you think that that's kind of the hook for what you've got going on with the masculinity? Yeah. Um, you know, what I would say is, you know, there was sort of a built, there's sort of a built in market for what I was doing mm-hmm. because I was very aware when I started that there were a large number of sort of online internet men's personalities that were attracting a ton. Yeah. Young men. Jordan Peterson. So, uh, Jordan Peterson was the most famous. But when I, when I started writing this, Jordan Peterson was not yet super famous. Right. Okay. He was just doing his YouTube lectures and things like that. So he was mm-hmm. becoming known. Mm-hmm. He certainly had a large following, but he, he wasn't super famous. Sure. Or, or Joe Rogan. Mm-hmm. And, um, it, you know, and so, um, and then there's what they called the Manosphere. Yeah. Which is a group of, of uh, websites, you know, you know, everything from sort of, uh, you could think of everything from the pickup artists mm-hmm. to these incel people that, that kind of felt yeah. like that. Make towels. Yeah. Know, guys. <laughs> so I saw that, that all these guys were just attracting hordes of young men, and the church was not attracting any, any anybody. So like, <laughs> yeah. You know, if, if, um, uh, you know, if I, if I got into this, if I kind of got into this business, I would be able to, and there's going to be a built in audience because I know that there are men in the church who read those sites who are looking for a Christian perspective on the issues, mm-hmm. but aren't finding anywhere to get it. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, they're listening to, um, you know, they're listening to Jordan Peterson or they're listening to, you know, Mike Cernovich. So they're listening to those guys. And I don't, I don't think those are, I don't think Jordan Peterson's, you know, necessarily bad. Mm-hmm. But, um, but I think, I think people were hungry, finding, finding kind of a Christian voice there yeah. was good. And I do think, there's a sense in which I think people kind of get it in their gut that the old ways are not working anymore, mm-hmm. right? That the old kind of rules of how you do church, of how you do, how you be Christian in America 
mm-hmm. are sort of obsolete, kind of mm-hmm. sort of obsoleted by events. Mm-hmm. And people are looking for kind of new new answers. And so that's why I I felt pretty good that it would attract an audience mm-hmm. um, there. Now, what happened was it was interesting. I, I went into it and I was actually trying to decide what to do. My original plan was to start a side business that was all about making money. That was literally its all point was to make money. And I said, well, I could do that or I could do this newsletter. I decided to kind of do the newsletter, but I said, here's what I'm going to do, God. I'm going to do this thing for a year. And I had like 35 people, I think, about that I, you know, that were my friends and people I knew who might be interested in the topic. And I asked them to um, subscribe and they did. And I said, after a first year, if this thing doesn't grow to 500 people through word of mouth, then I'm going to shut it down. And by the end of the first year, I had something like 236 people on it, right? (laughs) So I said, I'm going to shut it down. And in fact, I told all my charter subscribers I was going to shut it down. And um, I, uh, uh, you know, and I was actually, the only thing I had left to do was to send the email out to the whole list that says, this is the last issue. Thank you all for subscribing. And then um, Rod Dreher, unbeknownst to me, somebody sent one of my issues to Rod Dreher. And he linked to it and said, now "Who's Rod Dreher? Rod Dreher is a blogger for the American Conservative Magazine. He wrote the book oh. The Benedict Option. He's, um, you know, I think he's Eastern Orthodox, but okay. he's really he's super. Here's the key: he's the he's got a massive audience. Okay, okay. he has one of the single biggest audiences of anyone writing on the internet today. Got it. Okay, and, um, you know." Overnight, I got like 1,500 new subscribers from some guy. I, yeah. And so it sort of took off from there. And like people, people continued to find it and share it. So, um, you know, Mark Galley, who was the former um, top editor at Christianity Today, found it. He liked it. You know, and I did, did, did a podcast with him. Uh, Doug Wilson found it, wrote about it. Um, you know, other people started spreading it. And it's like, and it's not just all. You know, it's not just all, um, you know, more conservative people like Doug Wilson, too. I got like a lot of people on the list. I mean, I've got like, you know, um, you know, I got like Episcopalians and things on there. And like, it's, wow. it's, kind of, it's kind of interesting. Like, you know, you attract. It's interesting to attract. I, I always say my my audience and my target audience is Christian men. That's who I'm writing for. Mm-hmm. Anybody else is welcome to join. I'm just not writing for that audience. Right. When you know it, like quite a few people have have, in fact, joined. Yeah. Um, uh, who are there? So I think it's great. No, no. When I started, one of the other, one of the reasons I started it is because I didn't see anyone else who was doing this work. Yeah, in the Christian world. There were some Christian manosphere bloggers, but they were all like, un, you know, kind of like pseudonymous. They were all writing under like pen names and stuff. Yes, yes. Like I said, nobody's going to take them seriously because they're not there. So I said, I'm going to start it. And what you see today now is there's actually a lot more people. Um, doing stuff in this space kind of under their real name. And, um, you know, I found, you know, I found that there were some of them out there, you know, Alistair Roberts had been doing some interesting, interesting work. Um, but, um, you know, C.R. Wiley, obviously. C.R. Wiley, yeah. Example. yeah. You know, but now there's more and more people kind of in the space and it's great. You know, maybe, you know, one of the things was I was kind of hoping, like, wouldn't it be great if one of these big name pastors found it and said, hey, I want to start doing this stuff too. And I could just turn it over to him and I could go back to doing something else. Yeah. So maybe I'll get a retire at some point. There'll be enough, you know, <laughs> enough thing. And, you know, but, but cause like a lot of times what I do, I've noticed this when like writing software and other things, you know, I, I'm able to start with nothing and build something. Mm-hmm. Um, but maybe I'm not the best guy at taking something and turning it into like a big, a big thing. Mm-hmm. So maybe maybe it'll be like a successor or someone who really figures out how to take it to the next level, yeah. which is which is great. And I think you see more and more people um, doing work in this space. Yeah. No, I think I think it's you're exactly right. And and it's it's a time I think that's really critical as well. Uh, I mean, when you think about just and, and all the issues going on right now. Right. I mean, there's we're currently we're having a. Uh, a culture war that's almost a civil war, right? And we've got um, women mad at men, black folks mad at white folks, police mad at everybody. I mean, crazy politicians. I mean, it's it's 
the work that you're doing with the masculinist is causing us, causing me in particular to really figure out, all right, how do we, how do I, as a man lead my family and be like honoring God by leading my family? Right. Because that's, that's what I'm supposed to be doing as a man. Um, God holds me accountable just like he did Adam. So how do I do that in a climate that doesn't support that. And I'm, and I'm going to give you a, a, a quote from you really quick. Okay. Great. This is it's a zinger. Okay. You said, believing in patriarchy today is kind of like believing in the divine right of Kings. You may have noticed we don't have a King. So telling a man that he needs to act like a patriarch in our world is commanding him to do something that's not legally or culturally possible. To do except outside of a narrow subculture, or sorry, narrow subcultures, most of which aren't Christian. And then you continue to say, it's a form of LARPing, which is live action role playing, if you guys don't know. Um, and the idea that a man is lord or ruler of his home in contemporary Western society is ludicrous. <laughs> I, that's true. I, mean, I think, well, I think here's what, what happened. You know, this is where like, there's a lot of them. Uh, yeah, I got some flack from that. Apparently some people didn't like that. But basically, you know, there's there's in the kind of the Protestant world, there were kind of two different views of um, kind of gender theology. One was sort of uh, egalitarianism, which is, you know, the genders are basically the same. Right. Maybe there's some sort of complementarity between men and women. But ultimately, you know, women can be pastors of churches. They can be ordained as elders. You know, marriages are supposed to be 50-50. Mm-hmm. The husband's not the head of the home and that stuff. Mm-hmm. Then there's this complement system called complementarianism. Yeah. Basically says men and women are equal, but they have different roles in the home and the church. So like only men can be pastors and elders and men are supposed to be the head of the home. Mm-hmm. And so this complementarianism, which I've written very critically about, it's kind of a joke theology, frankly. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I mean, it really, it really kind of is. Yeah. But it was sort of a, it was sort of a thing that a group of people came up with in the eighties because feminism was sort of making all these inroads. Right. And they sort of wanted to come up with something that would respond to feminism. Right. They, so they wrote the Danvers statement, right? Yes, we talked about that. Yeah. But they essentially, they essentially took the position, I think most of them ultimately that we're going to be 100% with the egalitarian feminist position, except in a couple little areas where we think the Bible is so explicit and clear we can't get around it. Mm-hmm. That would be an unfair characterization, but I think that's basically how it functions. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people said, well, that's kind of a joke. Mm-hmm. And they said, you know, the Bible is about patriarchy, mm-hmm. all that stuff. And, you know, I think, it, I think it's very clear. The Bible is a patriarchal book. Right. I mean, it really is can't get around uh, it and and there's so i'm not i'm not even going to deny that but on the other hand i look at it and i just say okay great you know um in america 2000 you know to 2020 like the idea that the man is in, in a patriarchy men are actually in charge they have mm-hmm. legal authority um you know like in rome like i think the the you know the the pater familias could like kill his own kids right they could like do they could do anything they want like mm-hmm. you know, no it doesn't work that way mm-hmm. right so for example it used to be that in the event of divorce men retained custody of the children i don't know if you know that mm-hmm. in wow. part because the men the men were expected to provide for them and had the income and that and now it's like just the opposite so we've had a, essentially a complete reformulation of um, all the laws and norms of our society. So in our society, we have at-will divorce. So you, mm-hmm. you're the man, you're the husband, but your wife can divorce you at any time for any reason or no reason at all. Mm-hmm. And the laws are very favorable to her in doing that. She, In some states, she can still end up with alimony. Mm-hmm. And some states still have lifetime alimony. Right. And women are going to win custody and in, in disputed custody, in most cases, you're going to end up owing child support. So ultimately, it's sort of like she's always got this kind of nuclear bomb mm-hmm. you know, hanging <laughs> your head, but yet you're supposed to be in charge. It just, right, right. It doesn't work that way. Right. So yeah. I think, you know, in irony, you know, I wrote a, I just wrote a two-part series on divorce. 
And I heard from a number of people who were got divorced or getting divorced. And this is where I really kind of like really don't like conservatives, political conservatives a lot. Mm-hmm. It's it may actually be better for you to for a man to get divorced in a blue state than in a red state. Mm. Why is that? Because, well, I think in these blue states, um, I think they often do have a very um, egalitarian view of um, of um, you know of the sexes. So it's like okay, women can take care of themselves. Men can take care of themselves. So, for example, uh, I was talking with someone in New Jersey, which is a very blue state, and apparently in New Jersey, joint custody is essentially the default. So wow. pretty much in the event of a divorce, most of the time you're going to end up with joint custody if, wow. the, if the husband seeks to have joint custody. It's probably going to happen. Wow. In Florida, which has basically been a red state, um, the, the, the legislature passed a law that would have eliminated alimony and would have established a presumption of joint custody and the Republican governor of the state, Rick Scott vetoed it. And so, essentially, and I was talking with someone in North Carolina, he's like, yeah, North Carolina laws are terrible for husbands if you get divorced. Wow. So like, these, you know, these red states, they often have these like baby boomer type people who are like, if your wife is divorcing you, it's, this is what, this is what the complementarians basically also teach, by the way. If your wife's divorcing you, it's because you weren't leading your home well. You were probably abusive. If you weren't physically abusive, you were emotionally abusive. And so right. they tend to want to just punish, you know, severely punish. But I was reading some stats, some, some incredible percentage of the black men in prison in South Carolina are there because they they couldn't pay child support. Wow. It's like crazy. There are there, the number of people who are in jail. Because they can't, they can't physically pay child support. It's crazy, wow. and yeah. it's in these red states where you see the worst abuses like that, like South Carolina. I think South Carolina is infamous for that. Yeah, and um, you know, and so I think it, it's really, I, I really think that um, I, I kind of got off on a tangent a little bit here. No, but the key, is, the key is our legal system and our cultural system certainly do not support patriarchy in any way. So I think people want to lean against the culture. They want to lean against, um, you know, things they don't do wrong, but then they, they overcompensate or they want to go say, hey, we need to go back. Yeah. I think he's talking about going back. We want to go back to like the Victoria, you know, men, you'll hear this a lot. To the men, 50s. Men just need to act like gentlemen again, you know, mm-hmm. you know, you tell that. But like the gentlemanly ideal, first off, the, the ideal of the gentleman, uh, as we understood it, was really a product of the Victorian era. Right. in England. And it, w- it was limited essentially and derived from the Anglo-American upper class. You know, the, gen- the idea of a gentleman in France or in Germany would have been quite different than it would have been in England. Mm-hmm. And so we- we've essentially, though, you've taken this, this ideal from a previous age mm-hmm. and told people today that they should live up to that ideal. Right. Society is totally different. You know, the, I, don't, I mean, yeah, you're probably too young to have watched a lot of old reruns on TV when you were a kid, but there was this, sh- this old TV show, I think from the sixties called leave it to beaver. Yeah. I've seen and, it once or twice. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, the father, so it was this, the husband and father was, it was Ward and June Cleaver. Uh-huh. And it was this guy who's a, a writer for national review. And he, he did a little video on the online called Ward Cleaver is the sexiest man alive. And basically yeah. you, need to, you need to act like that guy did. Yeah. And I'm, well, that's that's nice to think, but like, is he going to say that women should act like June Cleaver, this '50s housewife, '60s yeah, housewife? Good, good luck. <laughs> going to say that, right? So they always want you to live by like yesterday's rules, but they're never going to ask anybody else to live in those. So I think it's one of these things where people say, okay, or it was better, you know, things were better in the '50s, things were better in the Victorian era. Things were better in the 80s, you know. I mean, it depends on what your point of reference is. Um, but one, things actually weren't all that great in those eras either. Yeah. And, um, you, you know, you, you can't really go back. When you try to, like, live up to something that's, that's there, you can't. Mm-hmm. One, you know, for, you know just, just the reality of the Internet, the way the world has changed. We just live in a different world. We do. We live in a very different world mm-hmm. today. And I think... Um, 
you know, that requires thinking about things very differently and, um, and about how, you know, how, how do you live, how do you live in this society, you know? And so I do think we, we should, we should look at things like, you know, I do believe you read the Bible it says, you know, men should lead the, you know, should be leading in the home. Yeah. But what does it look like in 21st century America? Yeah. It, it's going to look very differently and it requires a different set of skills. Yeah. So you kind of got to be like, almost like a salesman. You got to be a persuader. Yeah. And um, it's a lot harder. It's a lot harder. Mm-hmm. And just telling, you know, you're not leading well. Well, I mean, like, it's, it's, it's a very hard thing. Now, I will say it's not great for, for women either. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not here to, uh, I would say I'm here to build men up. I'm not here to tear women down. Yeah. Society is also very, very bad for women. Um, there's a famous stat you know, you never know how seriously to take these stats, even though they've been widely reported, because mm-hmm. oftentimes they, 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 they link back to like one little suspect study. But you always hear like a quarter of American adult women are on some sort of psych, psych medications, mm-hmm. antidepressants. I mean, huge numbers of certainly huge numbers of women are taking antidepressants, anti-anxiety medications. Right, right. It's actually women are less happy today uh, than they were in the past. And so. And, you know, if you think about, you know, the, the situation, there's a lot of a lot of things are just very difficult for women mm-hmm. as well. So I'm not saying this is like a great, great shakes for women either. Sure. Um, it's a situation where kind of both both sexes are losing out a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So and that's I think that's really the question that I have, too, is like when you when you say that you have to kind of play the influencer role, because to, to the idea of my house, my rules, right. It's yeah. not a reality. Uh, right. And, uh, and I'm, you know, I'm, I, I'm, I don't know if you realize I'm a black man and uh, that's definitely not rolling. I'm married to a black lady and, that, and that's definitely not rolling. So the, the idea that you can put your foot down and that everyone's right. supposed to kind of acquiesce to what you say, um, is, is a farce. It's, it's, it's exactly what you said. It's not a reality. And right. so, uh, flesh out for me, like, what would you say when you say you kind of have to play the influencer role? Would you say um, you almost have to appeal to, um, uh, uh, hey, this is this is a good thing for us, for us to go a particular direction or what, for dinner, say, you know what I'm saying? Like, this is a good thing for us. We need to uh, you almost have to appeal to um what it is that she wants as well. Are you, are you suggesting that to some degree? Yeah. You know, I, I actually, um, you know, every situation is different, but like here, here's an example of what I mean by, by kind of influencing and knowing what's there. So for example, one of the problems that I found in the church was they were always telling you to be a servant leader. Hmm. And I don't think there's anything wrong with the concept of a servant leader, but basically their idea of a servant leader was be someone who, you know, helps with, helps a lot with the kids, mm-hmm. you know, very attentive to your wife, always, um, you know, all being very conscientious, being a very godly man, being a kind man, mm-hmm. you know, going to church regularly, all those things. And all those things are very important. Don't, don't get me wrong. Um, but they miss out on like the most important characteristic, right? I think one of the most important characteristics of, um, you know, marriage, she attracted to you physically. And those yeah. things like servant leader don't, um, uh, <laughs> don't yeah. action. So yeah. what you, um, what do, um, when, what are women attracted to, right? They're attracted to, you know, power and status, confidence and charisma, um, you know, looks, physical appearance, style, and then resources like money. And so a lot of times, one of the ways that you influence women, in, in essence, is by being very, very, very attractive. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, I want to be with that guy. Mm-hmm. So if you think about what like, we think about, you know, you can think about the, the professional athlete, the professional musician, the movie stars, rich guys. Mm-hmm. Like they don't have any problem getting women to follow their lead because the women are chasing them. Right. right? And so sure. even though I'm, I don't fall into any of those categories thinking about how to, how can I be more confident mm-hmm. that I think is important. So one of the things um, that these manosphere guys, they got this whole theory of like how it works. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think the biggest, I think the biggest thing that for them, here, here's the, here's the biggest thing for them. 
you know, a lot of it was really oriented around the pickup artists. And so if you actually tell a man how, you know, basically how he can have sex with women and you, and he's successful at it. Yeah. I mean, like you, he'll think you're a prophet. He will. Yeah. (laughs) Even the people who aren't pickup artists basically use the whole same model for understanding women. And so basically it's like, so a lot of times the idea, they'll they'll give you very counterintuitive ideas about what women are um, looking for. So for example, take a, take a classic statement. Do I look fat in this dress? <laughs> and so the average, the, the average man would say, oh, of course not. You're beautiful. You're all these things, blah, 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 blah. Right. Well, the, um, you know, the, the manosphere guys would say the answer is something like you wouldn't say that, right? Because she's actually testing to see if you have like balls or not. And if you're going to stand up to her, if you're just going to like placate her constantly, Mm-hmm. And she's going to know that you're not like a confident, real kind of guy. You're just like, oh, yeah, you know. no, you're full of it. Yeah. You're, you're, you're pretending, you're yeah. pretending to be like you say, the, uh, you, you talk about being nice, right. And being the nice guy. Yeah. So actually one of the things is like, um, so she would say, you know, do I look fat in this dress? You would just go, you know, huge baby. <laughs> now I'm not saying that's what I'm saying. I've never actually responded to that, but I think, but I think the key is understanding that like you have to be working on, you know, being like as stylish in shape as confident and charismatic as you can, yeah. like successful as you can. Mm-hmm. And then if you're that, then she's going to want to, she's going to want to be like, yeah. and yeah. then I think the key is you actually have to be careful not to be too much of that, too much of a pushover, too much of a yes, honey, because then what you often see, I think this is actually the number one problem. A lot of guys have, they get into trouble um, when the relationship is going south mm-hmm. and she's like, well, you don't pay and you don't do this. You don't do that. And I say, okay, I'll do that. I'll, I'll do whatever you say in order to try to address whatever problems that you're, you're doing. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times all that makes, all that does is it makes her lose respect for you as a man, as a person, right. because you respect somebody who's just a pushover and does whatever you say. Mm-hmm. Like you, you wouldn't respect another man or anyone. No, you could just walk over. So I think a lot of guys almost become like doormats. Yeah. Attempt to make their wives happy. And when that happens, she loses respect for you. And losing losing respect um, is really kind of the, that's almost like the death knell, right? Of of like a woman's interest in you. She doesn't respect you anymore. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so I think, you know, you have to, you have to think about things like this. How is what the, how is what I'm doing affecting how she, how she um, respects me? Yeah. So I think there's a lot of there's a lot of kind of bigger picture things that go into these decisions. That's not to say that you you shouldn't be kind. I think you should be kind. You should be loving. Right. You should hopefully be saying hopefully you're married to someone who's got a lot of great qualities that you can legitimately praise and say hey, this is great. Mm-hmm. But you know it's one of these things like I mean I'm a, I don't claim to be some ace with women here. Okay. Sure. <laughs> you know, yeah. He means, but I do think that. Um, I do think it's a, it's a situation where you, you just have this very kind of, you know, most, most guys, for example, are not known for their high emotional intelligence, mm-hmm. right? That stuff. And so it, you have to like really have a lot of like sensitivity to these dynamics and mm-hmm. it's, it's difficult. It's just, it's a difficult uh, situation, and ba- but basically equipping people to think about how to do it. I, the ones the, the example that I, I like to give, I compare Matt Chandler to Jordan Peterson. Mm-hmm. Matt Chandler, the Southern Baptist preacher from Texas, runs a huge megachurch there. He says, I keep saying it, godliness is sexy to godly people. Jordan Peterson says, women are attracted to men who win status competitions with other men. So which, who's more correct? I think it's like Peterson's much more correct. Yeah. Right? One of the things that you're doing here so I think what you're doing here is starting a podcast is actually great because it lets people, it lets your wife see that you've got something going on mm-hmm. and you've got listeners Thanks. and you've got like, oh, look at these people who are coming on my show, mm-hmm. right? Like, you know, this guy's got thousands of people on his list. This guy's got books. They're coming on here. Mm-hmm. She's like, and all of a sudden she's looking at you like, hey, this guy's like really got something going on. And your traffic goes up and becomes more impressive. Mm-hmm. So it's a way for you to demonstrate confidence and success in the world. Mm-hmm. Way that gains you respect, her respect. Mm-hmm. So I think that's a very positive thing. 
And that's why I say it doesn't, it doesn't have to be a game. A lot of the internet guys, they actually call it game. Yeah. That's just what, it's like faking it. Right. When, there, when, there's also, when there's also, I think a lot of it's just a reality. Mm-hmm. There's reality. It's like, you're, you know, hey, I'm, 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 I got this podcast. I'm putting out a high quality product. And I'm a ser- being a serious, like, and I think earning the, re- earning the respect of other men yeah. I think counts for a lot. Yeah. Um, and how women, how women, how women see you. That's why they, like in high school, they like the captain of the football team, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Again, other men look up to. And so I think you're, you know, you're doing like a very, I think by doing this podcast, like it's a very good thing. Yeah, I appreciate it. I, I, well, and I think you're hitting the nail on the head and that's when I, began the podcast, I really did it from a place of wanting to help guys that are newly married, millennial guys understand and really, I mean, Frank, if I can be honest, man, really just kind of be a sounding board for me because I know that I'm not the only one that's trying to map out being a young man that's married and trying to do it in the most God honoring way possible. Mm -hmm. I know that I'm not the only guy that's dealing with that. I know I'm not the only guy that's, you know, feeling like, um, he can't get it right. Right. Because when he goes to say like focus on the family or a Christian bookstore and he hears a lot of these conversations, like just be a godly guy and that kind of thing. And that's, it's all going to be, you know, peaches and cream. Like you're never going to have any problems just because you're a godly, nice guy. It's tough. (laughs) It's a tough situation because you get into the real world and you realize that there's more to it. You know, there's more to it than just being a friendly face. Mm -hmm. You know, I I mean, I I think you're right. And uh, I think usually and I think it's always true that you can learn from like older people. You should, but I think in our society, um, there there are these radically different cultures and different generations, mm-hmm. and so there's some information that's timeless. There's some that's kind of more generation specific. So I do think, you know, for example, I'm Generation X, mm-hmm. right? And I have to tell you, like, if I were married, I'm, I'm married to a, my wife is Generation X. If I were married to a millennial, I don't know what I would do. <laughs> Good luck. So it's like a very different environment. So like I think to some extent, you all have to figure kind of figure it out to yourself, maybe a little bit through trial and error, and you can kind of help each other out. Yes. Like um peer to peer knowledge. Yes. Because I do think there's a lot of very unique things about kind of the millennial generation and like dating, mm-hmm. you know, that Especially being married. Yeah, man. What I would say is, like, I really don't like to give, um, you know, marriage counseling advice or other advice because I don't feel like I have enough of a track record of successful marriage to, to really be credible there. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm much, much more knowledgeable about kind of the dating markets mm-hmm. and how they function and a lot of the things in the, in the culture. Um, but the reality is there aren't, like, a lot of millennials who've been – out there like married for a long time sharing good insights and so i think it's it is important to have a voice and i think just finding out what's working and spread you know kind of sharing uh, as i say in corporate america i can't help talking like a consultant it's like share best practices here's yeah what, here's what didn't work you know and so i think that's that's important because there are there are big cultural differences between um between kind of generations yeah and i i think that that leads into kind of the last quote that i wanted to talk with you about too mm-hmm. Really quick, you in the same article, and this, by the way, guys, this is, um, you can go on, what is, is it, the masculinist.com? Is yeah. that what it is? Um, it, right now, you can go to aaronren.com slash masculinist. So okay. A-A-R-O-N-R-E-N-N.com slash masculinist. And you'll okay. Or you and, can just Google the masculinist and it'll come right up. It'll come up. And, and the name of this article, I think, was, um, I'm trying to remember it now. Um, it's, it wasn't the retreat one. I will put a link at the bottom of the show notes. How about that? I can't remember the name of it. It was the one you did April 7th, if you remember the title. You may not. Maybe, is this the one about having to go forward because we can't go back? Exactly. We have to go forward because we can't go back. And this quote, I think, sums it up perfect. You said, in a liberal or post-liberal culture such as ours, trying to go backwards is a failing move. Rather, rather than reaction, think renaissance. 
Don't try to put new wine in old wineskins. Create something new from the best of what is old and seek to leapfrog current structures with new ones that are both authentically Christian, but also superior in terms of suitability to today and tomorrow's world while realizing that these new structures themselves will continue to be flawed. I think, geez, man, I mean, what that really says is, is that what we need to be doing, and really this is when I, now that I've read kind of more things from you and even um, old conservatives, the idea of conservatism is really about what you just said, keeping what was good and helped us to be able to flourish and being adaptable to different changes, being liberal really about different changes that need to be made. Um, it's not a keep everything and don't get anything new. You know what I'm saying? And that's kind of where um, I, I think that this idea of, of being a husband and this idea of leading a family really kind of is at a crossroads right now because we've got, you know, you said complementarians, but I know guys that are like hyper patriarchal where it's like, um, you know, everything that needs to be said, I'm involved in my daughter's like dating really heavy. Like I pick male suitors for her, you know what I mean? That whole kind of thing. There, there's that slant as well. And so I, you know, I, I, as I'm talking to you, I'm, I'm I, I feel like I, the more I read your stuff, the more I'm kind of consistently like, ah, I thought I had it right. I thought I had the right thought process. And, and it's causing me to really think deeply about this kind of stuff because when we look at scripture and we look at the role it's 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 written in a certain context it's written in a certain time period it's written in a certain generation and so what is the spirit of that text what what are what are the things that we can draw from that are that are uh spiritual ideas and what are the things that have a and spiritual ideas that we need to hold on to. And what are the things that have a little bit more nuance and gray area? And I think that you, you've done a really good job at causing folks that read your stuff to think about that. So in, in your opinion, Aaron, um, how do we, how do we take new wine and, 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 or sorry, how do we take old wine and, and put it in new wine skins? Yeah. yeah I think it's a, it's a very it's it's a very interesting thing to say. Again, I think we take the historic Christian teachings and just say, how does that apply in kind of 21st century world that we live in? Mm-hmm. And I think for one thing, like what you're doing right now, you're taking advantage of new technologies. Right. Right. So one of the things you say, we live in a mass media culture. We live in a um, you know we live in a social media culture. Like how do these new technologies and structures of culture formation and knowledge dissemination, um, how do they really structure our lives? And like, how do we take, how do we take advantage of those? Um, maybe in ways we couldn't think about the way, I think, for example, the way the printing press um, really caused a disruption right. in European history. I mean, I don't know that the printing press per se caused the Reformation. I don't want to make a statement like that, but certainly uh, printing press was very helpful. It was a tool. Right. Yeah. In the Reformation sort of things. And so we just, just the impact of disruptive technology mm-hmm. really fundamentally changes and transforms what we're able to do. Right. Mm-hmm. Because if we don't have these technology, technological capabilities, we won't be able to do things. And so, um, you know, so I, I just... Again, that's not a, that's it's a little bit of a, a vague answer because I don't think yeah. I necessarily, as I said, I'm not here to with some like I have the answer. The formula, yeah. <laughs> I don't have it. I'm searching for the right answers myself. I think one of the like I think another person, like I say, you mentioned C.R. Wiley. He does a great job of saying, look, here's how we can apply the old concept of the household mm-hmm. to the world, mm-hmm. and so. Like, I think one of the things you're doing in terms of what's the best of what's old, I think one of the best of what's old is like, you know, the ma- marriage is the family is still essentially the normative structure of, you know, like for you to get married right now, that's almost a countercultural statement right there. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> being married, I think, and like trying to build a family and having children, those things still still relevant. 
Mm-hmm. Um, now we think about how do we do that again in the world with you know 21st century divorce laws and cultural norms and mass media mm-hmm. and all those things. I think it's it's a very challenging it's a very challenging thing, and quite frankly, people haven't even really been thinking about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's probably unfair. I, I you know I should probably I should probably retract that because um, I think that only because this. I really don't like the idea of saying like I'm the first person that ever thought about this problem. Usually when I discover a problem and think about it, I discover that somebody else already identified the same problem hundreds of years ago and <laughs> outlined all the possible solutions that were out there. Right. But I don't want to be I don't want to be too brave, but I think that there has been this sort of baby boomer formula. Mm-hmm. It's been kind of regurgitated. Mm-hmm. as the norm and we have to find a way to move move beyond that. Yeah. And you know, I don't really think the baby boomers are going to change or, or change what they're doing. Yeah. And so I think that's why I'm trying to reach kind of like Gen X and under just to get people thinking about it, just to think about it. So like, yeah. I think you're asking the right questions. How, you know, some, some patriarchal, some patriarchalist says, well, you know, you just need to like rule over your home. What does that even mean today? What does that mean? That's a question we have to ask ourselves and, and start thinking about it. Like what, what, how should we, how can we seek to influence our children to make decisions for the better mm-hmm. right? when, you know, you can't just order, you know, you can't just order your daughter what to do something or to like that. She can't see that guy. Like, you know, it's like <laughs> you don't have much control. Right? Yeah. We have. And so w- what is that? The answer I'm trying to go back, like, again, I think the courting, the idea of courting, that was like one that a lot of people had. Well, we don't believe in dating. We believe in courting. We're going to go back and did it like they used to do back in the Victorian era. Yeah. It doesn't work. It's, it's goofy. It's hokey. And I'm sure it works for some people. <laughs> like, a lot of things work for some people, but they can't be generalized. But that's an example of, of, of backwards looking. Mm-hmm. Forward looking is how do we try to make sure that our daughters and our sons end up married to high quality people? Mm-hmm. You know, uh, at a at a reasonable age, what's the best strategies for that? That's a very that's a very good one to think. Yeah, it's it's one to think about. Yeah, no, I think I think you're dead on. I think you're dead on, and I I, I uh, I've got a lot more reading to do, boss. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate you coming on and and just talking with us. Um, Thanks for having me. It's great. I appreciate you reaching out. I'm glad we we're able to record this so quickly too. Oh yeah, got it done. Got it. Reached out. What was that Sunday? And then. Uh, Hit it up on Tuesday. Let's do it. That's what I say. Sounds good, man. I, I appreciate you taking time, Aaron. I hope you have a good rest of your day. Thank you. You too. Bye-bye. All right. See you. And there you have it, gentlemen. Another one in the books. Great. Great conversation with Aaron Wren. Uh, I hope you guys took time to actually read that article as well because it's going to be, like I said, required reading. <laughs> I think the masculinist in general is required reading for us here. It's, it's really, really insightful stuff. Aaron has really taken some time with that project, so I encourage you guys to subscribe to that. I'll leave it in the, the show notes as well. Um, but I think we we left probably with more questions than answers. But I think that the main thing to take away from this, guys, is we're going to have to, as men, we're going to have to uh, focus more on our influence, focus more on our ability to lead, not by beating our chests, not by relying on society or church or whoever to support our leadership in marriage, but to earn respect, to develop an attitude that people are just, they just defer just because of our competencies, just because of our character, just because of our insight. I think we're going to really have to rely on that moving forward because there's not a system in place to help us lead our families. And again, you guys know this about me. I'm, I'm not suggesting that we're perfect, right? But again, if we're going to be men um, that want to honor God, that want to honor the household codes, that want to live sacrificially, right? Because that's really what this is about. Men leading their families is men doing the hard things for their families. If we're, if we're going to be men that are valued for that, if we're going to be men that do that, um, we're going to have to ask the Lord's help and we're going to have to become influential. 
We're going to have to become guys that people want to respect and be around. So hope you guys think through that. Hope you guys join me next week for another episode. We're going to be interviewing the one and only John Eldridge. Guys, it's going to be a really good episode. But with that, I'm going to say take care and build on.